0: Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the Scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Passing the Baton, and we'll be looking at the basics of one-to-one discipleship and how to get started on a new adventure of helping younger believers grow up in their faith. You'll never be the same. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this evening that we can be together. We remember tonight that there is a God. A God who has revealed himself, who speaks and gives life. And we turn our hearts toward heaven tonight. A lot of voices calling into our world. A lot of noise when we get calluses on our ears and on our hearts. Would you break through tonight, please? And touch us in a way that only you can touch us. That may hurt or surely help. And afterwards we'll be so glad that you do those kind of things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're on the second week of Passing the Baton, and the title tonight is to be Fruitful and Multiply. Uh, Tonight we want to talk about what do you want to see at the end of your life? Tony Campolo tells the story about a sociological study done of 50 people over the age of 95 who were asked what they would do differently if they had life to live over again. And I just did, by the way, on deathclock.com Uh, put in my stuff, and as long as I keep an optimistic point of view, I'll live till I'm 95. If I start to get glum, it drops off by about 20 years, so I'm really trying to be upbeat tonight. (laughs) But they did a, a survey of these 50 people over the age of 95. What would they do differently if they could live life over? They responded by saying they would, listen to this, they would risk more, they would reflect more, and they would do more things that would live on after they had died. Isn't that good? They would risk more, they would reflect more, and they would think about what can I do of lasting significance. He, uh, Campolo went on to talk about his, uh, something his African-American pastor had said one time in his home church. After listening to the students in their church give accounts of their year at college, the pastor got up and said, Children, one of these days you're gonna die. You don't think you're gonna die, but one of these days you're gonna drop, they're gonna drop you in a hole, throw dirt in your face, and go back to the church and eat potato salad. When you were born, you cried, and everyone else was happy. When you die, everyone else will cry. Will you be happy? That depends on whether you live for titles or testimonies. That depends on whether you live for titles or testimonies. And I found that very significant. Uh, that's, That's something worth chewing on over a period of time, isn't it? So we want to talk tonight about... Uh, when it says titles, I mean, you know, I was the head of this or the head of that, and 20 years later, nobody remembers you at all. But if you invested in people, in lives, uh, where people have a testimony of the impact of your life in their life, then that lasts forever. So we want to talk tonight about bearing fruit. The first major point is, is that it's a priority for God, and let's look at this these uh, three famous men. In the very first book of the Bible, in the very first chapter of the first book, when Adam is made, Adam and Eve are made, we hear the very first word spoken to the very first man. It's the very first command that God gives. You think it might be important? I mean, if you were just going to guess, I wonder what, you know, if you hadn't read the Bible and you said, let's just do a quiz... Uh, On all the people that maybe can't remember what it says, and let's just see if we could guess it. Oh, he would tell them, love your neighbor. Love God. Worship God. That would be number one. Worship God. Put Him in first place. Read your Bible. Behave yourself. Don't commit adultery. Type. What would God say for His very first command? You'd think it would probably be important, at least to God. And let's look at what he says. In Genesis 1.28, the very first word, to the first man, the very first command in the first book of the Bible, the first chapter of the Bible, very first words out of God's mouth after he made the creation, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, etc. But the very first thing he says is, be fruitful and multiply. What was God's plan? Why did he say that? Well, he had created man and woman in his image, And God's plan is to fill the whole earth with his glory, and nothing fills the earth with God's glory like the people that he's made in his image, loving one another, living in community, serving, giving, deferring to one another. Well, then there was the fall, and the earth got so bad by chapter 8 of Genesis that God decides he's going to wipe out the whole earth with the flood and start over again, so Uh, After the flood's over, he appears to Noah, and he gives him a command. You think, well, he's probably going to come up with something different. You know, last time that didn't go so well. So, he's probably going to say something like, can't you all behave yourselves? You know, like you say with your kids and stuff, or your grandkids. And and, uh, Genesis Genesis 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, You ready? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He's going for it again. Wow. Well, it still didn't go very well, because now physical reproduction wasn't enough. Since sin had entered, and now mankind wasn't a real reflection of God. When Adam had a son, what did it say? It said he had a son according to his own image, and that image was already fallen. And so now, when there's uh, they multiply and fill the earth. What do you see? Well, at a personal level, you see Noah getting drunk. Even Noah, I mean, he was our best guy. You know, he was our starter dough. And uh, he didn't, you know, he's there naked and drunk. It says, good grief, you know, uh, this isn't going well. And then they said, well, maybe we just need more people. You know, just uh, we just need a, a bigger starting base. So we get lots of people. And then there's the Tower of Babel. It says, well, that's not going very well either. And so by chapter 12, God comes up with a new plan to fill the earth with his glory. And he chooses one man, Abram, and he makes him a promise. He starts off with a promise instead of a command. Well, he tells him to, to leave Ur, but, but God makes him, what's showcased there in Genesis 12 is the, these, this set of promises. And I'm not going to read the whole passage, but, uh, and some of you are already well, well familiar with it. But there are three things that God promises to give Abram. That was his original name. And God eventually renamed him Abraham. But Abram means exalted father. He was 75, fatherless. And God promises him three things. He says, leave your country, and I'm going to give you your own country. Wow, you know, I mean, a lot of people would be happy to have just their plot of land and their house on it. It's, or, or maybe, wow, I mean, who do you know that has even a city, much less a state? Yeah, this is my state, you know, North uh, North Carolina. Mine, you know, my father bought it, and yeah, wow, you know, I mean, I was f- happy to find that we, we even knew the person that originally owned Beach Mountain, you know, I thought that's a big deal, but he, with, with Abram, he says, you're going to get the whole, you're going to have a whole country. I said, well, that's good, but he says, I don't really need a whole country, it's just me and my wife and we don't have any kids. He says, well, I'm also going to give you a seed or uh, descendants, many, many descendants who live in that land. Oh, wow, That's if you were wanting to have a baby, that's that's good news. If you're going to have many, then you've got to at least have one to get there. And not only that, the third thing he promises him is, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's going to go better for everybody on the face of the earth because you have lived and believed in me. I said, wow, not only do we have a a lot of real estate, not only do we have a, a large family, but on, on top of that, we're a blessing to everybody else. What a great promise. He takes him out in Genesis 15. He takes him outside and, outside and he said, uh, says, look at the stars and uh, count them if you can. And of course, he can't. You know, it's, uh, I read something that says uh, right now with what we have now as far as stars, the number of visible stars in the universe... Right now, as it said, it's 70 sextillion. That's 70,000 million, million, million. That's 10 times as many stars as there are grains of sand on all the world's beaches and deserts. Now, that's a big number. And You see, now that's what he says. He says, Abraham, look up. He says, now you don't have any any sense, but I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than the stars. Somebody once told me, that uh, at one moment, I mean, in a sermon, you know, it's just a poetic thing, but he says, at one moment, he's looking up at all of these stars, and all of a sudden, all the stars turn into the faces of children, and they're all staring back at him, saying, Daddy! (laughs) Then they get (laughs) to, you know, and he's thinking, Wow, and he believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Well, that's when he was 75. Well, 10 years go by, and nothing changes. I mean, I'm sure they're trying to have children, but uh, none are coming. And so then there's the thing in in Genesis 16, like, well, maybe God needs help. Maybe he meant for us to be creative and kind of work with this thing. And so his wife comes up with this idea of, well, maybe you could uh, have relations with my maid and we could kind of count that, you know. It's uh, maybe not not the best, but, you know, we've got to try to figure this out. And uh, so they have a child, Ishmael. Another And God doesn't say anything. Thirteen more years goes by. And he says, well, we've, we've got, you know, it's a, it's a fixer-upper, but, it, you know, we, we can go with Ishmael. And uh, God appears to him when he's 99 now, and they're already thinking we're, we're going with plan B, trying to make it plan A. And God says, comes to him and says, well, but y'all are going to have a child. He says, well, we got a child. He says, no, 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 Sarah's going to have a child. Uh, and at that point, God changes his name from Abram, which means exalted father to Abraham, father of a multitude. Now, he'd already gone around getting embarrassing himself, introducing himself as a childless man, saying, My name is exalted father. <laughs> you know, it's like great entrepreneur, and everything you've had has been in bankruptcy. You know, it's just not the right name, you know. I mean, maybe fierce hunter or something. But, uh, and then God says, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to make it even worse. I'm going to a father of a multitude. Well, I don't even have one. But it says that uh, God insists. And because it seemed like such a ridiculous thing in Genesis 17 when he, when God's telling this to uh, Abraham that he's going to have a son, Sarah's back in the tent and, and laughs, and God says, that's what we're going to name him. Because she snickered, we're going to name him Snickers. <laughs> because she laughed, we're going to name him Laughter, so that whenever his name comes up, people will realize... Uh, how amazing it was what God did. and Isaac was born. Now what I want to get to with this, because for many of you these are this is somewhat a uh, well-known history, but there's a, there's a pretty big so what in here. The so what is is that according to the Bible, we, you and I, are the sons and daughters of Abraham. Well, so what? Well, Whenever somebody has, leaves a large legacy, and they're no longer here, who gets it? The descendants. And what the Bible tells us, if you look, at, we'll look at these two verses here. Let's see if you get the same thing I get out of it. Galatians 3 7. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? You can just nod your head if you do. Well, what does that say about you? That you are officially, before God, a child of Abraham. That's how God views you. Okay, well, that's good. I'll, I can do, deal with that. Galatians, then further down in the chapter, and if you belong to Christ, and we, we've just said we believed in him, then you're Abraham's offspring. Well, we already got that out of the other verse, but look at what's next. You have an inheritance coming in. Your ship has come in. There's something that was written down ages ago that belonged to Abraham. And now, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, it belongs to you. What does that mean? It means that whatever promises God made to Abraham, he's making to you also. And part of that is, God wants you to have descendants spiritual descendants because we see with Adam and Noah it was just it was just talking about a physical lineage but with Abraham what's passed on is the spiritual life because now when we reach people for Christ and have any influence in them and participate in helping people then we are passing on the life of Christ in them not because we're anything, we, we can't pass on anything we didn't get from somebody else. I mean, we've just received it. We just, like when we passed the baton, you know, when last week I gave, handed you the baton, you took it, you passed it on, and no one said to anybody that passed it me, well, who do you think you are passing me the baton? So I'm just doing what they told me, you know. They handed me, it and I'm handing it to you. I'm nobody, I'm just, you know. That's who we are as we serve the Lord and as we try to touch lies. Christ is everything. But he made you and me to have a spiritual family and to believe, to trust God for it. See, with Abraham, Abraham could say, but God, that's impossible. Look at me. As far as me, that's impossible. I, I can't do that. And God says, right, that's why I'm making the promise. It wasn't a command. It's a promise. A promise is like a check. And they, they, they say, well, pay to the order of this person this amount. And what these promises to Abraham are, it's a check. And now, because he's no longer here, it's your name that's written in the recipient's line. And all you have to do is cash it. I mean, wouldn't that be nice, to have a nice fat check tonight? And say, oh, and you're thinking, I wonder, what time do the banks open in the morning? This would be coming at a good time. Well, let's think in terms of uh, the New Testament and see if we can get a little more light on this in this we're on the second point here a priority for your life bearing fruit and in John 15 Jesus is the story of the Jesus teaching on that he's the vine and we are the branches and in verse 2 he says every branch in me that does not bear fruit in other words it's possible to be fruitless sterile he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he says okay that's fine nope It says, every branch that bears fruit, anybody remember what he does with them? He prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 5 says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. And then finally he talks about that we should, in verse 16 that our fruit should remain. So look at this. We have the case of no fruit. And with the new birth, if we're really in Christ, if we're grafted into the vine, there's going to be fruit, he says. He says, oh, but that's not enough. He said, I got fruit. Yep, I'm fine. That's good. I'm glad you got fruit. Pruning. He says, what, what are you doing, God? You know, uh, I thought you were going to applaud. You come at me with clippers. He says, oh, this. Uh, we, we want even more fruit. Oh, great. Well, now I have more fruit. Uh, and God says, well, but that's not enough. Don't want just m- more fruit. We want much fruit that comes through abiding in him. Well, are you satisfied now? We've got much fruit. That's, well, this is really great. We've got much fruit. He says, well, that, that is good, but uh, that's not enough. What do you mean that's not enough? It's not enough. Don't you just want you to have fruit like it's a flash in the pan. We want fruit that lasts and lasts and lasts, that abides. So obviously the question is going to come up, well, great. What is fruit? I mean, what are, you, what are you really talking about here? What was Jesus talking about? Uh, what is fruit? I want you to talk just a minute amongst yourselves to think uh, in terms of, for a Christian, when the Bible talks about being fruitful, what is it talking about? Talk amongst yourselves a minute and we'll get back together. All right. Let's hear back from some. What, do you, what are the different possibilities of what he could be referring to when he talks about fruit? Fruit of the Spirit, what what kind of fruit is that? Okay, well, I know what the fruit are, but what what kind of fruit is that? What is that? uh... Okay, so there's a certain amount of fruit that's just a transformation of you. God's Spirit transforming your life and you being more like Jesus Christ. That's fruit. And I'm sure your family members would love to see more of that in your life. And you would love to see more of it in their life. That's wonderful. That's uh, nourishing. That when you have the fruit of the spirit, when you bring into a situation love and joy and peace, just like an apple can nourish somebody and give, and in a sense, give and sustain life, the love and joy and peace that you bring into a situation just because of Jesus Christ being in your life brings life. It's nourishing. You become a nourishing person because you bring you bring in things that, uh, that, that promote life rather than infect with, with disease and death. If a person comes in with the opposite of love and joy and peace, they come in with, with hatred, ingratitude, and complaining. You've been around people like that. It's toxic. And, and you just, uh, you're just you just counting the, the minutes or hours when you can get a break to get some fresh air. But if you're around somebody with the fruit of the Spirit, it's life-giving. And secondly, aspect of fruit, is it's our life in Christ being reproduced in others. It's new people coming to Christ and growing up in Him. He wants more. He's happy to have you, and He wants to clone you. He wants to clone Jesus that's in you into others. He wants this to multiply and fill the whole earth. And his plan is, friends, it is not to use the ministers and the paid staff to do this. He wants everybody. He doesn't see us all different. You know, you and I see people differently. We say, well, there's, I mean, there's, you know, there's that guy there. I mean, like, this must be for him, you know. I mean, again, I slipped into the wrong class. Uh, uh, he says, no, in the same way that you have accepted that the normal state of affairs for human beings is to have children and reproduce themselves. So sometimes it doesn't happen for different reasons, but that's the normal state of affairs. And nobody says, well, because I don't have a PhD, I can't have children. I'm sorry. I just can't. Other people are so intelligent, their SAT is high enough, and they can have children. In fact, you know, in our case, in the case of the world, it's all the people with low SATs that have lots of children. I don't know what it is, but um,
1: <laughs> this
0: whole idea of I can't have spiritual children because I don't have enough degrees, I don't know enough of the Bible, I this and that... It's Jesus Christ. Have you fallen in love with him? Well, yeah, in my own weak little way. But he's in your life. He's touching you. And maybe you're not there yet, you know. With Abram, uh, God started off when he was 75, and it didn't actually happen until he was 100. One is, though, like, uh, you've got 24 hours, and we want to see some fruit. Er, you know, uh, go out and grab somebody, you know. Well, will you pretend to be my spiritual son. Uh, uh, I got one. <laughs> No, it's, it's because what you're doing, see, is it, this isn't a... Now, in the New Testament, it's not a command. It's a promise. God is telling you, this is something that I want to do through you. If you'll do what? Believe me. Just like your father Abraham. It was impossible in his case. It really was impossible in his case. But since God had promised, he says, well, God's probably not in the habit of lying. He promised it. He's all-powerful. I guess, theoretically, he could do it if he wanted to. I'll believe him. Maybe Sarah was saying, Abraham, this is impossible. He says, I know, but God promised him. I'm going to believe him. And God says, then I'll do it. And I'm wondering tonight, do you have the faith of Abraham? Do you have the faith that God, even in, maybe in a situation where you feel like it's impossible that that could ever happen with you, but you, you can see that maybe this promise does have something to do with me? Would I be willing to believe that God is that great, that he could use me in that way? And if he did, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? For that person to stand up at your funeral and say, this is the person that helped me. Yeah, we're not talking about a absolute, 100% perfect faith. We're talking about a trembling faith that reaches out and grabs on to the almighty hand of God and says, Lord... I can't see any way possible, but you're the God of the impossible. So, with fear and trembling, I declare it so. It will be. And that's what the Great Commission is about. Matthew 28, 19 says, I want want you to make disciples of all the nations. I want you to think big. So many times we think from our, our littleness up and say, well, I'm just a little person, and I don't know anything, and I'm not very good at anything, and I can't talk to people, and instead of thinking from God's greatness down, what would be something that would be worthy of God, and that if he used little old me to do it, he would get much more credit than if he used some of these other gifted people, because if they do it, they say, oh, they are just so good at this. If I do it, they say, what in the world is going on? Uh, how, How did that happen? Oh, that must have been God, and he gets more credit. If he uses you, if you're thinking you're unusable. So, what I want you to realize tonight is that this is something that's very important to God. From all the way back in Genesis and all the way into the New Testament, Jesus says, If if you're abiding in me, you will bear fruit. And it's God's will for every Christian that you bear fruit. It's not a calling, a particular calling, a particular gifting. It's his will that you bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains. That's his will for you. I want you to say it with me. It's his will that you bear fruit, much fruit, more fruit, and fruit that remains. Now say it with me. It's his will that you bear fruit, much fruit, more fruit, and fruit that remains. Do you believe that? It's God's will that you 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 know now you're not just in the stands and you applaud those people that are so good. Oh look at them go! That's my team, Crow team, go crows! You know, Uh, says no. He says you are a player in this, and it's my will. I wouldn't have called you if it wasn't my will for you to bear not just fruit, not just more fruit, not just much fruit but much fruit that remains. Will you believe? Well, let's look at some of the, th- the third point, the obstacles to bearing fruit. And I think a nice illustration of this is in Luke chapter 1. And we see two women. The, uh, one of the themes through the Bible is fruitless women. They're called barren women, sterile women that wanted to have children and couldn't have it. And the whole thing was, as they trusted and prayed and believed in God, they were able to have children. But th- And that was a picture lesson. For us, because many of us feel barren, sterile, like I, there's no way I could do that. And we see Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, who was too old to have children, and we see Mary, who was considered to be too young to have children. With Elizabeth, it was too late to have children. With Mary, it was too soon. She wasn't supposed to. With Elizabeth, she couldn't have children. Mary, she shouldn't have children. But in both cases, it was, they weren't going to have kids, and yet both of them did. Both of them bore fruit, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a God thing, you see. That's why it's a faith thing, because it's a God thing. He's not saying, well, oh, I think you can do this, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you know, like, like the cheerleaders on the side of the team trying to get the team going. He says, no, God can do it, God can do it, God can do it, even through me. It was by promise, not by command. And when Mary said, how in the world can this ever happen? Look at at Luke 1.37, what what, uh, Gabriel says. Luke 1.37. Uh, She says, how can this be? And, And the angel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says, all right. Behold the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy will. And that's how we ended up with a Savior. So there are difficulties. I imagine you have difficulties in your life. You have uh, things that you think, this just uh, can't happen. Uh, particularly in terms of helping helping somebody else. But God can overcome all difficulties. And it's something that's His will. We also find that uh, excuses come up. Some people say, well, it's not my gift. I'm just, uh, my gift of serving or whatever. Some people say, well, uh, I've been a Christian ages and I've never done this. And so they're like Abram that says, uh, if I'm 75 and I haven't had any kids, I'm not going to have any kids. And God says, "Will you just believe my promise. Um Some people say, well, my thing is sowing, not reaping, and I go and I pass out tracts, but I, you know, as far as this actual personal contact with somebody or or trying to bring a person to, encourage a person to ask Christ into their life or help them learn how to, how to have a quiet time or anything, any of those things, this is, oh, you know, I just would terrify me. This is, well, if this is what God has for you, I mean, there are plenty of people that are terrified of having kids. Of course, some then ended up not doing it because of that. But most people deal with it and end up having kids. And uh, the thing with children, it's not just sowing; it's also reaping. It actually, actually, having children and raising them. Fourth excuse might be satisfied with just a little. Well, I'm just, I'm just an usher, or I just, I just help clean up on Wednesday nights after the Wednesday night dinner. That's my thing, and I'm that's. I'm humble and sweet and invisible. <laughs> and I want you to know that God says to you, I made you to be fruitful. I made you and called you for fruit, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains. For you, that everybody. And I'd like to use you. And fifth, there are people that say, well, I just witnessed by my life. In other words, I'd never opened my mouth to a soul. And so what do people think if a person never mentions that they believe in Christ? Well, they just think they're a nice person. Uh, Salt of the earth, American. Uh, But uh, God has called us to be light and salt, to be witnesses for him. Fourth, let's talk about what do I need to bear fruit? What do I need in order to bear fruit? The very first thing I would say is, completely reject being sterile. That's the first step of having children in a family is, I mean, not always, because sometimes these things just happen anyway, but, uh, I mean, we're families that plan things, and, it, and the plans work. Uh, in our case, we would talk about it. Well, do you think it's time to have a child? And, uh, and so we, in a sense, would turn our back on sterility, and uh, says, let's go for it. And spiritually, to come to the place where you decide, Lord, if you are able, and you know he is, I'm going to start believing and wanting you to use me in the life of somebody else. Not because I'm anybody, but because everybody that comes to Jesus Christ should have a mom or a dad, somebody that cares about him personally, and not just shove him into Christian daycare. You know, here you are, 50 other new Christians and just, you know, fight it out amongst yourselves. There's the person we've paid to watch over you. Everybody wishes they... If they don't have a mom and dad, they wish they did. And spiritually, it's the same way. And we've got to get over thinking it's every man for himself, every woman for himself. No, God puts you here to care for others. And one of the ways we care for others is we try to encourage people to come to faith in Christ. And those that have come... If they're newer than we are, and there's some things we could encourage them in, help them with, then we should be wanting to do that. Reject being sterile. God created you to bear much fruit. Rachel, Jacob's wife, in Genesis 30, uh, she hadn't had any children. Jacob's other wife had had children. And Rachel tells her husband, she says, give me children or I'm dying. Give me children or I die. He says, who do you think I am? God? I'm doing what I can, you know. And uh, But he prays for her, and she had children. But look at that attitude. Is that your attitude? Lord, use me in somebody else's life, or I'll die. I mean, that's wanting it, isn't it? That's something that you'd be praying about, leaning forward toward, looking forward toward. Hannah, in uh, 1 Samuel 1, So much wanted to have children, couldn't have children, and she stays there all day long in the temple praying and weeping before God. God, please, please, give me a child. Give me a child. Totally rejects sterility. Secondly, intimacy. Intimacy. Closeness with God. Why? Because it's the Spirit who prepares you to give birth to spiritual fruit. In Luke chapter one again, with Mary, and they're having this conversation, and Mary says, "Well, you know, how can this? How is this going to work? You know, I'm, I'm not married." Listen to what uh, the angel says. He says, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you." What a what a phrase, you know? Think about that. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Hmm. Now, link that for your own life to Acts 1.8, where it's the, it's the last telling of the Great commi- Commission. He says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses all over the whole earth. And once again, like with Mary, she was going to have spiritual offspring. It's going to be Jesus. He says, the way that's going to happen is the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and there's going to be fruit. And then when he's dealing with the disciples, which includes you, he says, now, you ready? It's your turn. He says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to bear fruit. And you're just as shocked as Mary. I'm sure Mary many times looked over her shoulder and says, is he talking to me? yes he's talking to you it's the power to bear fruit and it comes from god how intimate are you with jesus christ how close are you to god's holy spirit you see christianity often kind of sinks down it's like tires that lose their air and then you're just sort of going on the rim and ripping up the rubber and it's you know you can still go and a lot of people's christian life is sort of like that it's uh, its not as though you're not getting any, anywhere, but it's not a smooth ride. and It's like something's not quite right. Well, yeah, there's no air in the tires. That the heart of Christianity is, is a person. It's Jesus Christ. It's not uh, a particular worship service or style or the music or anything like that. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And drawing near to him, whenever there's uh, reproduction in the human race, there was always intimacy. Well, I guess now they got test tubes and stuff. But anyway, apart from apart from the details of the last fifty years, it always included intimacy. And that closeness, that walking, learning to walk closer and closer to God, seeking his face each day, thinking there really is a God. And he's not somewhere way off. He's He's right here. You mean here? Wow. He's real, and as you learn to walk in intimacy with Him, He says it's gonna bear root, and that's His will. Just like with with Abraham, even though it took a, an awful long time and it didn't seem to be working most of the time, it ended up bringing us the Savior of the world, the Jewish nation the whole Bible, all that flowed out of that promise to Abraham. And even though it didn't look like it went that well during his lifetime, he believed God anyway. The power to bear fruit comes from times of intimacy with him, walking with God. So this bearing fruit isn't an Ishmael, isn't where you figure out how can you can find a recipe and we'll just do that and make it happen, we'll help God out. No, it's an Isaac. It's a child of promise. It's something that God is going to do. Not with you being all passive. No, no, no. You're actively believing. You're looking for it. You're rejecting sterility. You're walking closely with him. You're looking for that promise to be fulfilled. You're wanting to cash that check. Third point is to lift up your eyes. Begin to believe that God is going to do great things through you oh, yeah, I heard you snicker. You're thinking, oh, this is ridiculous. He says, that's why we're going to call it Isaac, because you laughed. Because in that class, when you first heard that and began to think, uh, God seems to think he's going to do something with my life, and that's the funniest thing I've ever heard of. Me, I mean, I'm a problem to myself and to most people I know. And that I would get to the point where somebody else would look at me and say, this is my spiritual mom. This is my uncle in Christ. This is my aunt in Christ because of what they did for me. And you think that's going to make you proud? Because you know you. And God did it anyway. Lift up your eyes. Believe that God is going to do great things through your life. Genesis 13, when he takes uh, Abram out, you know, and he says, "Look, look at the stars. Lift up your eyes. Count the stars. That's how many of your descendants are going to be. And Isaiah 60, verse 4, uh, again, the idea of lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar, and your daughters will be carried in the arms. I'm telling that to the nation of Israel. But again, it's the idea you're going to bear fruit. Can you already hear the tramping of the feet of those that are coming to you and say, We were sent to find out about God from you. You're the one we need to talk to. Doesn't that excite you? It sure excites me. In the New Testament, in John 4.35, Jesus said, Don't you normally say there yet four months, and then the harvest will come? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest begin to believe God now even it says God even if it takes 25 years I'm going to start believing you now that you are going to take my measly little life and use me in such an astounding way that everyone will say there must be a God and fourth persevere persevere Hebrews 11:13. Says, all these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance so they got God's promise but even in their lifetime it wasn't fulfilled in a way that they could grasp it but they still they died believing And God always will fulfill all of his promises. He doesn't he doesn't make promises that he doesn't fulfill. Are you willing to work on this your whole life long even if you don't see tons of fruit? Um, Abraham, think think about Abraham. Seventy-five years, nothing, but he didn't have a promise. At age 75, God comes in, makes a promise, he says, great. Twenty-four years later, nothing's happened. says, don't you think he was tempted to be disillusioned? Well, no, because he'd sort of made another plan. He'd sort of gotten his ishmael going. But uh, uh, that first ten years, he's probably thinking, what's going on? There are a lot of people that are very disillusioned that are disillusioned with with church, that are disappointed with prayer. They think this thing, it's a gun. They tried to shoot it and it didn't seem like anything happened. They think, is it me? Is it the gun? Why, when I pray, it doesn't seem to happen like I wanted it to happen. He says, you need to believe what I have said. And you need to trust me and act on it. I was very impressed with reading a book, a biography of E.M. Bounds. How many of you have heard of E.M. Bounds? A number of you. He wrote a book called Power Through Prayer, probably one of the most used men of God in the area of prayer in the 20th century. And he was a chaplain in the Civil War and would go around sharing his faith and wrote about 13 books. Only one of his books was even published during his lifetime. And it wasn't until he was about 65 years old that he found one person that wanted to be discipled by him. And he was a minister. He'd been at it for about 40 years. And I thought, that's discouraging. I mean, um, for him, I mean, you know, I think this poor little guy, you know, uh, here, here, that's his profession. You know, I mean, at least you get to make your living doing something else, you know. I mean, they're not coming expecting that from you. If you do it, it's a surprise. You know, it's kind of like kind of an extra bonus or something. But this guy, it's his job, I And mean, part of his job. And, but just working and praying and trusting God, and God ended up using his life, even though during his life it didn't look like much. And he could have said, Oh, this doesn't work, and quit believing. He kept believing. But what's really important? That you get to necessarily see it and, and show it off or whatever during your lifetime? Or that in 300 years, God, with all of his people, look back and say, Now that significant life. Look at all that flowed out of that life. That really made an impact in eternity. Will your life make an impact in eternity? With the passing of time, our vision tends to shrink. And I think the challenge of this message is stretch it back out again. God doesn't want you just to bear fruit. He wants you to bear more fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains. This was God's first command, and it was Jesus Christ's last command. It's of the highest importance to God. What's God's will for your life, that last bit? Be fruitful and multiply. Will you respond to this promise in your heart that God has has passed on down to you, that you've gotten a letter in the mail today saying, We've just found out that you are one of the heirs of the estate of Abraham. And so, this check is yours. Will you cash it? Will you believe God to take your life and use it in a much greater way than you ever, ever, ever thought possible? That you're not just a taxpayer. You're not just a church member. You're not just an usher. You're not just a a Bible study leader. You're not just a mother, a father. He has chosen you to be his prince, his princess. He has chosen you. and He did that through Abraham, and yet when Abraham died, he only saw one son. He only saw one face. He only got, you know how much of the land? he, He was also promised the land. You know how much of the land he had? A place to bury his wife. I was going to get a, I was going to get a country, and I got a funeral plot. He says, "Well, it comes in installments." <laughs> but Abraham died believing, and even though he didn't yet have, hold it in his hand, he said, "It is done." God is promised; he doesn't lie, he doesn't fail, and I will continue to believe him to my dying breath. The promises that he has made to me through the scripture, through Abraham, through the Holy Spirit, he will fulfill. Heavenly Father, it's not about us, it's about you. It's About what you have intended to do. When you originally laid your hand on us and called us and we felt that call and responded in faith, it was already in your heart to speak to us about these things. Make our lives fruitful. Not just blessed, not just saved, fruitful. That the life of Jesus would be reproduced in us and it would also be reproduced through us. That we would have an influence on other people by what we say, by what we do. Have a chance to maybe lead someone to Christ or help someone grow up in you. It might look different for different people, but it still will be these two things that you have outlined in the scripture. The transformation of our life into the image of Jesus and the reproduction of your life in us into others. And we just want to be crazy enough to believe, like our father Abraham did years ago, that if God has promised it, then I can. The least I can do is believe Him. That He could use even me to do great things. Thank you, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on bringing truth to life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.